now. Here's Jack Riccardi. All right. Thank you, Dennis. Good afternoon. Welcome to Monday. I guess we'll call this Elon Musk Monday. I'm, I'm enjoying, can I just say, I don't know if you use Twitter or not. You may not even care, but I am enjoying the avalanche of uh, hysteria and panic and the um, business illiterate crowd. Remember all the people all those years that yelled at us, build your own Twitter. If you don't like it, why don't you build your own Twitter? Because they thought they owned it. They thought it would always be theirs. And some guy came along and bought it. And um, now they now they're now they're worried. Um, I, I you know what do you think? I I don't think anybody knows for sure. Uh, Elon Musk is going to get control of the company. The company has accepted his offer. I guess it's about a forty-four billion dollar deal, and it includes um, loans and personal equity. And the company will have to service those uh, those costs over a long period of time. And it's not clear at the moment. If you go on Twitter right now, it looks like it always has, and it's not clear where he'll start with changes or exactly what the changes will be. But one thing we know about Elon Musk uh, is that he's not someone who's afraid of taking risks. He attempts unorthodox plans. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Uh, but Twitter is about to become the next version of itself, and uh, everybody's talking about that uh, today. I can't help but think um, how weird it is that we have become so... uh, We're not dependent. I know you're not dependent on Twitter in the sense you don't know what to do with yourself, but but, but the, the way that news is curated... The way that the the national conversation of the day is curated by social media, and it's it wasn't that long ago we didn't have anything like this. And how did we get by? What did we do? Who determined what the quote unquote headlines were? And who determined what people are quote unquote talking about? You know, there was a book a few years ago called "The Social Media Upheaval." by Glenn Reynolds, the guy that does Instapundit. We talk about him a lot. He's a professor of law at University of Tennessee, and really smart guy. He, a few years ago, he was thinking about these, these things. And um, this was, I think, before... The book came out while Trump was president, but I think it was, it was largely before we had things like the Twitter controversy involving uh, Trump and the Hunter Biden story and what have you. Anyway, he compared uh, social media to the way uh, big cities used to be born. You know, they learned last century that if you built big cities haphazardly, if you built them with slums and buildings that were too close together, if you didn't plan for things like sewage and drainage, you'd have a breeding ground for plagues and disease. And that's what happened in America's big cities in the early 20th century. It wiped out thousands and thousands of people, the poorest people, because the cities weren't built to be healthy. And he said, that's what we've done with social media. We built it haphazardly. We built it very quickly. And places like Facebook and Twitter are are plagued 
with disease, their breeding grounds for mental health epidemics. And, you know, years ago you were hearing about how it was way too important to teenagers to be liked or to get likes or to get approval. And we heard about cyberbullying. And when we had the young man, this seems like a million years ago, we had the young man in Alamo Heights who was popular and 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 loved and a, a kid with a bright future and he takes his own life under the pressure of social media bullying and so facebook and twitter and social media are are interesting products right because almost everyone uses them and almost no one likes them everybody hates them for different reasons everyone projects onto them what they think is wrong with society as a whole. And that was what Glenn, uh, Glenn Reynolds wrote about in the book, The Social Media Upheaval. But what do you think is going to happen? What are your expectations for Elon Musk and Twitter? The other story that's been on my mind a lot today is this young man named Bishop Evans, a National Guard specialist who went missing and uh, now they say they found him, and he's deceased in service to his state. And what we now know is that he went into the water to rescue people who were struggling in the water, but they weren't just illegal immigrants. They were allegedly drug traffickers. And they survived, and Bishop Evans lost his life. They identified his body late yesterday. This is an outrageous story because National Guardsmen respond to natural disasters and things over which no one had any control. They're often sent to the scene of something that needs to be contained, controlled, cleaned up. But this is a man-made catastrophe on the border. This isn't like a, a, a torrential downpour or a tornado. What's happening on the border and the reason Bishop Evans is dead is because of decisions politicians made very intentionally. And it's outrageous that he died trying to rescue illegal immigrants. And it's even more outrageous that he died trying to rescue alleged drug smugglers. He isn't just a National Guardsman. The, the White House today described him as an employee of the state of Texas. Must be nice to put that kind of distance between you and a young man's life. But he's somebody's son and somebody's best friend. And I'm sure he means a lot to a lot of people. He comes from the Arlington area. His people are from the Arlington area. He should not have died. He should not have been there. And these people should not be there. And they're not there by accident. And they're not there because of an act of nature. They're there because of an act of politics. What the Biden administration did on the border is akin to dynamiting a dam. If you blew up a, a big dam and you flooded all the communities downstream and they were overrun with water and debris and people were drowning and fighting to save their lives you couldn't sit there and say wow i didn't know that would happen i i, I didn't i didn't foresee that i didn't realize there was all that water behind that dam i 
I thought it was just a dam. I thought maybe somebody had just put it up to be mean or mean-spirited. You mean there was water behind the dam? I didn't realize it. Look look at that, huh? That's something. That's how these people are talking about it. We actually had a debate in this country earlier this year about whether or not to call it a crisis or not. Newsflash, it is a crisis. But it's not an accident or an act of nature. The decision to open the border has already caused death and suffering and hardship to not only people who live on the border, the American people, but to people who have been given false hope of coming across that border and have risked their lives and fallen into the hands of the worst human beings on earth in their effort to get across, in their naivete or desperation to get across. We're already a magnet for the rest of our hemisphere. There's not much you can do about that. But you don't have to open the border. You don't have to send false and misleading signals to people. That's what puts people in the river. That's what put Bishop Evans in the river. It's become very popular in this country when a young black man dies for people to march and carry signs and pictures. I, I haven't seen the, the march yet for Bishop Evans. Have you? Will there be people chanting? Will they say, say his name? He died in the water. It's a terrible way to die. His final seconds must have been awful. And I understand that he will be honored and eulogized in the right places and at the right time. And I'm trying to be respectful here, but I'm pissed off. This should not have happened. This was not an accident. This is another human casualty of this train wreck that we elected in the fall of 2020 or didn't whatever you believe the point is we have them and it's intentional it's not any different than blowing up a dam it's not any different than playing with matches you cannot excuse the outcome and I hope that Again, in the appropriate places, there should be grieving and, and consoling of his family. But the rest of us need to put on our big boy pants and see this with clear eyes. Because you know what happens when something is chaotic for a long time? The chaotic becomes the normal. We start to think, well, it's got to be that way. I mean, it's the border with the, you know, the, Central and South America, poor hemisphere and all this stuff. But here, here, here's, here's what to remember. Just a couple of years ago, we had policies and we were moving toward policies that were working. Not perfect, not eliminating the problem, but working. Those were intentionally reversed by people who knew they were doing, knew what would happen when they did, and, and really, in very large part, out of a personal fit of pique about the guy who'd come before them. You know, they were just determined wherever he zigged, they were going to zag, no matter how little sense it might make. They did nonsense crap just to show that they weren't him. And this that's how we got to where we are on the border, I think. I'm, I don't mean to sputter, I don't mean to yell, but... 
the more I think about this, the more outrageous and pointless it is. I'm not saying his service was pointless. But he was thrown into the breach by people that don't value the kind of man Bishop Evans was. Joining us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, a very busy news day, economist Steve Moore. Steve, good afternoon. Hey, Jack. It's good to be with you. By the way, is the talking about a busy news day, what is the latest you're hearing on the um, Elon Musk acquisition? Well, I was going to I was going to ask you about that uh, because, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the latest status of it. Yeah, the the reports are that he's that he's bought it. Uh oh, wow. I don't think he's confirmed that yet, but um okay. f- from what wow. you've heard of the, you know, they're they're talking about yeah. approximately 44 million and some of it is uh equity and some of it is loans. Is is, yeah. is he getting a good deal? You're an economist. Is he getting a good deal? You know, I'm not in a position to say. I mean, he's he's certainly offering a lot of money for that company and more than the stock value. So he's offering more than its book value right now. Um, and, look, I think the guy is so rich. I think, isn't he the richest guy in the world or something like that? Right, he's right. one of the top five. You know, that he really is genuinely, like, I think this is a great thing because I'm a big believer in free speech. And I don't like censorship. I don't like censorship of liberal things. I don't like censorship. You know, I believe in free speech and First Amendment rights. And this is a private company. And and if he wants to allow people to put content on there, that uh, that I'm all for that. I mean, and so I think it's a great thing for America if this goes mm-hmm. through. And um, and so uh, it's a victory for the First Amendment. I wanted to ask you about this on Friday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average. Uh, closed nearly a thousand points down. What yeah. was going on on Friday? Uh, well, it's it's the Fed. You know, the Fed basically said they might have to raise interest rates as many as fifty to seventy-five basis points, and I think they probably need to. I mean, Jack, you know this. I've been on your show regularly for the last you know couple of years. I've been saying this for nine months, right? The Fed is behind the curve, and when you get inflation, you know what the inflation rate was the month Trump left office. You always ask me this. <laughs> I never know the answer. I, I should remember by now. It's one and a half percent. Okay. It, it was it was one and a half percent. Fourteen months later, we're at eight and a half percent. I mean, think about how much we screwed things up. And I think it's a combination of the Fed being behind the curve in terms of raising rates from their zero interest rate policy, and then the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars we've been spending yeah. in Washington that we can't afford, and we're just. You know, what's the old uh, metaphor about, you know, uh, flooding the zone? We're just flooding the zone with right. all this cheap money, almost like dropping out of helicopter windows. And, uh, and of course, that's going to cause inflation, Jack. Right. This isn't complicated. Right. And we're talking about spending more money, which is is the last thing uh, they want to hear. I this morning, I saw this morning Biden said he wants uh, 10 to $20 billion more for COVID. I'm like, do you know how yeah. much money we've spent on COVID? $4 trillion. Yeah. Why don't you spend mm-hmm. the money we've already allocated before asking for more money so another thing that's been happening lately that i wanted to ask you about we we've had these disastrous subscription numbers cnn plus only lasted a month netflix is losing subscribers um i i saw where verizon took a big hit on subscriber uh subscriber numbers on on friday i think it was um are we peaking in the streaming subscriber economy well, I'd say so, you know, given those numbers. I mean, Netflix had a $600 billion market cap 
what a year ago, and now it's down to what three hundred billion. I mean, it's almost fallen by half, somewhere around there. I mean, that's a huge, huge, you know, uh, reduction in uh, the, the the capitalization value of that country company. You've seen the same thing with um, well, look at Facebook. You know, Facebook has fallen by almost a half a trillion dollars. I mean, it was, and and so yeah, but, you know, and I think part of the issue is here. We've all become spoiled, Jack. We want everything for free, right? Mm. You know, people don't want to pay for it, you know? And, and so, uh, you know, we were watching, my wife and I were watching um, Hulu last night because we're watching this uh, Elizabeth Smart, um, uh, you know, uh, documentary, which is excellent, by right. the way. People should watch it. But anyway, you know, we're watching and all these ads come on during the middle of the show. And my wife turns to me and says, wait a minute, we're paying, you know, to get, we pay for this service. And now we have to watch ads too. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we weren't too happy about that. But yeah, I think the days of getting people. Well, look, can you think of anything dumber than what CNN did? First of all, their ratings have been dropping like a stone since Trump left office because it was the hate Trump network. And so, you know, they can't. So they, they their viewership has been way, 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 way down. So someone comes up with a brilliant idea of saying, let's have people pay for the content. It's like if they're not going to buy it for free, you think they're going to pay for it? Well, you know, that, that, that in particular was stupid, but looking at all this and looking at all these streaming services, it just seems like an industry that's been very haphazardly built without any idea of how much appetite for it there was. Well, it's a kind of restructuring, and it's uh, what uh, Schumpeter called, the, uh, the great economist Schumpeter called, uh, you know, creative destruction. And so... Right. You get this kind of sorting out, and the, the strong survive, and it's a very Darwinian you know, area in the technology industry. If you don't have a product, I mean, I'm talk, talking about Facebook. I mean, Facebook, remember a couple of years ago, we said, Facebook's a monopoly. They're going to take over everything, and now they're half the size that they were a year mm-hmm. ago. So it's a brutal world out there, uh, you know, in terms of that. And that's good. Look, I'm a free market capitalist guy. Let the, right. let the strong survive and let the strong win, and that's you know, and, and, you know, the prices of technology have fallen so dramatically over the last, you know, 20, I mean, look, I'm old enough to remember, you probably are, when you turn on the TV and you got four channels, right? Right. <laughs> think about the world has I think, changed. I think, I think you make a good point. It's funny you mentioned Schumpeter, because we were just talking about him on Friday. That's <laughs> uh, so crazy <laughs> that you would bring him up, but... The, yeah, the, me too. And I and I think this is what, what we're seeing, I guess, is that we have to the, figure out gale, what will survive. The winds of creative destruction, and, and that's yeah. exactly what the free enterprise system is. And, you know, one day you can be on the top of the world, and the next day, you know, you can be out of business. And, and I just don't yeah. want subsidies, and I don't want bailouts. Amen to that. Steve Moore, good to have you. Thank you for coming on today. Always appreciate it. All right, Jack, have a great week. I'll talk to you soon. You too, you too. All right, so uh, how do you feel about Elon Musk? Or do you care? Is he going to make Twitter better? Is he going to make it worse? I was looking on Facebook, speaking of Facebook, and everybody has a different, there's all these people running in all these different directions, like Chicken Little. Terrible, wonderful. I, I really don't know how people know. I guess those are hopes, right, more than predictions. But anyway, tell me your hopes. <laughs> seem to whisper I love you birds singing in the sycamore tree 
dream a little dream of me. It's a big day for the American Songbook. Ella Fitzgerald. It's the 105th birth anniversary of the First Lady of American Song. Ella Fitzgerald born this day in 1917 in Virginia, but grew up in Harlem and New York and had a hard childhood and came through a lot of really tough times um, and really in many ways was one of those young people who you know we always we hear this so much we think it's just inevitable but she was one of those people who could have been lost to time but she somehow dug her way out and persevered through personal things and, and community things and the, the time she was growing up in and had this incredible talent that other people recognized and, and kind of pulled out of her and so many great songs, 14 Grammy Awards, worked with everybody in the uh, American, I guess you could say the American canon from the uh, 1930s and 40s uh, right up until her death. She hasn't performed. Uh, her last public performance was 30 years ago, but no one will forget Ella Fitzgerald, and we'll hear more of her music coming up today. Um, you know, it's interesting... I, I think the Twitter story is kind of like part of the Disney story from last week. So last week, one of the big headlines was Governor of Florida, Florida legislature strips away this uh, special uh, land privilege, this special taxing district that Walt Disney World has in Florida. And um, everybody's freaking out. How can he do that? Um, Today, Elon Musk completes apparently his complicated uh, acquisition of and control of Twitter. And what's happening is, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't call Elon Musk and, and, you know, Ron DeSantis, they're not the same. <laughs> but what's happening is the other side is fighting back. So people that didn't fight back are fighting back. Like, in the case of DeSantis and Disney, the old model was conservatives would grouse and complain, and they'd be like the two old guys in the balcony on The Muppet Show, you know, this culture, you know. And um, he went and did something heavy-handed and harsh, just like they do, just like the left does. They throw people off of platforms, they uh, ban them from the public square, they deem them uh, irredeemable, remember deplorables? And then they are shocked when it's done to them. Um, You know, we talked about this before with Disney. Disney was welcomed into our homes and into our families. People threw their money at Disney. People saved up and splurged on a family trip. It might be the only time they ever did it. And so one way to look at that was you've built this incredible brand. People admire it. And you're privileged to have their trust. Your name is on a movie. People automatically assume it is good fare for their kids. And that's a privilege. You've built it up over time. You've You've earned their trust. It's no small thing when you earn somebody's trust, right? 
And they threw it away. The people that are running Disney today, who had nothing to do with the things that were created, the things that built up all that trust, these are not creative people. The people that are running the company today are bean counters and social activists, and they couldn't, they probably can't draw a stick figure, much less a cartoon. But they inherited that product and the trust that came with it, and they threw it away. And they thought they could do anything they wanted with it. And when they finally crossed a line and began injecting themselves into the politics of the state of Florida, a state that was passing through its popularly elected governor and legislature, a parental rights and education bill, when they started acting like a political entity, they got treated like one. And they couldn't believe it. And the response has been that Disney should pick up Disney World and move it to some other state, like you could do that. They thought they were going to win because they didn't think we were going to fight. And Twitter, the Twitter story is kind of the same thing. For years, when you didn't like something on Twitter, the response to conservatives was, well, build your own. Why don't you go find your own? And then when they did, Parler, we'll kill that dead we're not letting that take off now i don't know what elon musk will do just like i don't know what disney will do but the 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 common thread in these two stories is that somebody who wasn't going to fight back fought back somebody that was supposed to turn the other cheek didn't and for a long time i think a lot of us have wondered when people would stop turning the other cheek And a lot of it is leadership. And I don't want to get too off in the weeds here, but if you consider yourself conservative, conservative leadership in this country has been pretty thin in recent years. It consists mainly of people who call themselves conservative, who throw around the word, but they don't do anything. And they condition you to accept defeat. They always tell you that they tried. We tried. We put up a good fight. That would be okay once in a while, but that can't be the norm. That can't be a steady diet. And now people are not accepting it. It's not good enough. Trump had a lot to do with that. It wasn't just him. Remember when he said, you'll get tired of winning? He said that because what he said right before it was that the leaders you'd been following never won. They they would say they were fighting, but they never won. And then they would accept an olive branch or a half measure, or they would say, we have to work together, we have to work across the aisle. The people across the aisle are not compromisers. I don't know if you've listened to the modern left in this country, but they're not half a loaf people. They want it all. They're not going to accept an olive branch, except they'll break it into kindling and start a fire with it. So we're way past the point where you can meet these people halfway. How do you meet people halfway who are grooming your kid? What's the halfway on that? I don't think there is one. 210-599-5555. And so that, that I think, is a, is, is a sort of pattern I see in these two stories. What do you think? And what do you think about the developments today with Disney and with Twitter? And we're talking about that, and we're asking you about it on the Stevens Roofing JR poll, too, at 
5555. Brad is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Brad, good afternoon. Jack, uh, very eloquently stated, and as so many times I wish I had uh, built a box radio that you could record people off the radio onto the tape with uh, what you just said there. But, you know, this, this radical extremist law that all these people are shouting out, uh, shouting out in Florida and saying, oh, well, we're not going to Disney World or we're going to pull our investments or whatever. It just says you can't teach or mention sexuality topics. I'll call it sexuality topics from kindergarten to third grade. When little Jack Riccardi Jr. starts first day of fourth grade, he's fair game. Go for it. And yet they're not willing to wait. They want it. they got to get their indoctrination, their, their teaching, their whatever started. Like when kids are still learning colors and what a square is versus a circle and, you know, the animals of the jungle and their ABCs, they still want to start it that early. I just don't understand the rationality. If, if anything, you probably need to have something that says hold off until the kids are like in seventh or eighth grade, you know, just kindergarten through third grade. That seems like such a minor thing to have this colossal super conniption fit over. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's funny you say, first of all, thank you for the, that, that was very kind of you to say. I, I, I've, heard, I've had this conversation with a number of people, and when they actually find out what's in the bill, now the law, uh, they they all say pretty much the same thing. That's it. That's the only thing it does, uh, because it's been presented to them as if it is some sort of sea change. And and then to your point about wh- why can't it wait till fourth grade or really even later? It needs to wait even later. That's my point about there's no there's no halfway with these kinds of people. You can't say we'll fight them to a draw or we'll give them half of what they want and get half of what we want. We might be willing to take half of what we want. They will never settle for half, and you wouldn't want half. Like, you don't want half of socialism, okay? You don't want half of grooming kids in public school. So, Brad, I think it's well said. Thank you. Uh, by the way, a lot of you have asked about Sean. He was uh, he just had an appointment today, and he's fine. He'll be back tomorrow on the air between, uh, well, with Trey and then on his own show from 9 to 11. Um I'm on my own show right now, and you're on my show, and we're on our show together. And You can jump in here at 210-599-5555. So you're, you're really looking at two cases. The other side is making the case that we are targeting or have it in for gay people and gay teachers, and they've got to sell that. So the parental rights... Act in Florida and and related things are just just hate against gay people. There's a problem with that though. The more people find out about what's in that bill, the more people have found out about what's going on in the classroom. The harder it is to make that argument that we just woke up one morning, we on the right, and decided to be mean to gay people. And the next shoe that's going to drop is you're going to have gay people stepping forward and saying, we don't want that taught in schools either. We don't think that's appropriate for kids at that age in that setting either. And then where will they be when the people they claim to be defending say, you don't speak for us either? And I think that's going to happen. I mean, you've seen it in other in other areas of life, right, in other demographics. Uh, the Democratic Party is learning it doesn't speak for all Hispanic people on the border. It doesn't speak for all African-American people when it comes to crime and defunding the police. Nope, that's not what we want. No, that isn't what we told you to do. No, that is not why we voted for you. And no, you can't have our vote next time if you keep this stuff up. Eventually, 
gay and lesbian Americans who can think for themselves and do and come in a wide variety of types and, and lifestyles are going to say, you know, we recognize the common sense of kids getting this at home, not from strangers, not from peer pressure. You don't speak for us either. So they've got to make that case. And I don't think they can. And I also don't think they can withstand the scrutiny of their own hypocrisy. Now, Disney, which, by the way, has lost, by one estimate, $46 billion in stock market value in the last roughly two months for picking a fight it shouldn't be in and picking the wrong side of that fight, crawling out onto the skinniest of branches, $46 billion in lost stock value. Talk about go woke and go broke. But Disney makes money in countries that totally ban homosexuality. Disney goes into countries... Disney cruise lines sail into ship, uh, sail their ships into ports. Disney Vacation Club books vacations into countries. Proudly, you can look it up if you don't take my word for it. Where there is no legal recognition of the rights of gay men and women. Or you can be put in jail for even consensual acts. You know, it's, it's, it's not don't say gay, it's don't be gay. They're in Saudi Arabia. They're in Egypt. And many other places, China, many other places that don't have any, any semblance of the human rights we have in this country, in every state, by the way. I mean, you may not like the variations in laws from state to state, but we don't have any state that cracks down or fails to recognize the basic human rights that are, that are completely non-existent in these other countries. If this was important to Disney, they wouldn't make their stand in freaking Florida. They'd make it in Egypt or Saudi Arabia or China. But they don't, do they? What is this really about? And some companies are already waking up. We talked about this this morning when I was filling in for Sean. Exxon... ExxonMobil has put out a memo, this is from the Houston Chronicle, uh, that will prohibit the flying of flags, cause flags and various political action flags at their uh, on their property. The only flags that will be allowed are the flags of the United States, the flags of the state in which they're located, and corporate or company-specific flags. But not pride flags, not BLM flags, not flags for this or that cause or political point of view. They, I believe, are getting the message of what's happening with Disney in Florida. Yes, big companies wade into politics all the time. I mean, they, they lobby for the writing and the crafting of bills and regulations. They obviously are going to do that because it's important. It, it contributes to the bottom line. But there's a big difference between lobbying over something that's germane to your industry, right? Like, this is how we make money. This is what we do. Versus picking or being chosen for somebody else's fight. And these companies are real. They're not... 
It's not that they've had a, 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 a made a U-turn in their political point of view or their political outlook. They've just realized uh, that woke capitalism doesn't work. And and as I said earlier, the only reason it doesn't work right now is because unexpectedly they're getting pushback. They're hearing from people they didn't expect to hear from. There was a uh, an interview done by the former CEO of McDonald's, a guy named Ed Renzi. He ran McDonald's in the 1990s, so he's been long retired. Now he was saying, quote, corporations have no business being on the right or on the left. Their sole job is to build equity for their investors. That's the capitalism part of woke capitalism. They forgot that part. They got the woke part. They forgot the capitalism part. All right, Dennis, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Because you're, you know, within our company, you're kind of our social media guy. Sure. <laughs> what's your What's your quick take on the Elon Musk story? Well, what are you expecting? It's interesting. I, You know, I, I don't think there are going to be as many major changes that people uh, say that there will be. Mm-hmm. Just because a company is a company. It's not like you're just going to go in and, and tell thousands. I don't know how many people work for Twitter, but, you know, thousands of people all the time. It's not like a Twitter control room where you can go right. in and, like, start moving the levers around. Yeah, Right. I mean, there may be some culture changes. I'd be curious to see. I'm curious to see what happens. Um, if just a culture change and, you know, more creativity or... Uh, a lot of people have been wanting the edit button on tweets and things like that. You know, things that people have long requested. Will those suddenly start coming out? Will we start seeing more? I don't say weird things, but you know, more things you never really thought Twitter would do all of a sudden start doing. Uh, so those are things I'm more interested and curious to see. I don't expect any sort of major, you know, earth shattering. Oh my God, Twitter's taking over the earth, and we're all going to be consumed by this mm-hmm. new Elon Musk social media platform. I think you're right that it it will probably be less significant than both sides or maybe all sides anticipate here at the moment. Yeah. But if there's any if there's any guide to go by, people should remember that he didn't start Tesla out of thin air. He bought an existing company. It was very small and it didn't have much market value, but one of the things he does is he looks at a product and figures out how to add thing unexpected, you know, I don't know what you'd call them, Easter eggs or whatever. Remember, when Teslas were new, people marveled at all of the quirky ways they were different from other cars. It's less true today because other cars are now emulating Teslas. But um, in the beginning, everything, the, the, the design, exterior design, interior design, the dashboard isn't a dashboard. I mean, there were all these things that just immediately added, if not actual value, I don't know, perceived value or curiosity, right? And uh, I think he'll do that. I think he'll add a bunch of, you know, sort of Easter eggs to the Twitter experience. He's already saying, you know, we're going to make the algorithms more transparent, but he's also saying we're going to add features that people will perceive as valuable, and I think he'll probably do those things. And then and then it will also become something that has his brand on it, right? So now when you're mad at Twitter, you're mad at him. Before you were mad at the nameless, faceless bots in Silicon Valley that had wronged you or limited you or whatever. Now you'll you'll have a, a name and a face to put with whatever you think of Twitter. So it'll be interesting. Um, I I I also when I'm looking at all this too, I'm thinking um, he right at the moment I hear a lot of people people even call our show people that email me. Right at the moment, um, 
he has suddenly become, in the minds of a lot of people, a conservative. Now, before you rush to the phone, I'm not saying he is. I know he isn't. But because he struck a blow at, or at least shaking his fist at, people and policies you're mad at, don't presume that the enemy of your enemy is your friend. In other words, when you see all these liberal crocodile tears about, I can't work here anymore, I'm out of here, I refuse to work for him, I don't know that they're right. I don't know that the people that are saying, and by the way, saying I will quit Twitter, that's, that is definitely the 2022 version of, if Trump wins this election, I'm leaving the country. How many people actually did that? I don't know the number, but uh, it's way smaller than the people who said they were going to. Right? I'm out of here. If he gets elected, I'm leaving this country. Some of the people who said that had already promised to leave if Bush was elected. So they should have been in Canada like 20 years ago. Or wherever it was they were going to go. Usually it was Canada, right? Um, I've only ever worked in radio stations, so I don't have a lot of, uh, I guess you'd say, diversity of experience. But I will say, every time I've worked at a radio station where we got like a new program director or a new owner... There were always a few people that, that's it, it's over. I, I, this is this is not going to be, you know, and they would freak out. They, they might or might not leave, but they would kind of give up, right? It's, it's done, it's over, they've ruined it, it's no good. This station's dead. But then what always happened invariably, and of course I was a young guy when I was starting out, I would just kind of watch all this because I didn't have any real influence in it one way or the other. But what I would notice was there'd be those two or three screaming memes, but then there'd always be a few people that would quietly just sort of try to figure out, well, okay, who are these new managers or who are these new owners? What's this new format? And they would they would dig in rather than freak out and go running out of the building. They would say, oh, let me figure this out. How can I how can I maybe make this work for me? And so there's going to be people in that company, Twitter, just like. There are in any company that goes through an ownership change or a, a, a directional change. They're gonna, you're not going to hear about them. They're not going to make the headlines. They're not going to announce this. But they're going to go back to work. Say, oh, what, what do we need to do here? So it'll be interesting. I think maybe, and this now I'm probably stretching it a little bit, but I wonder if there's a kind of deep state with these companies. You know, the Trump called it the deep state or the permanent bureaucracy in Washington. By the way, he one of his great failures was he didn't penetrate it. He didn't really do anything to it. He said he would drain the swamp. We certainly saw the swamp. It didn't drain. But I imagine there's something like that in, in a company like Twitter, this ingrained, entrenched, uh, entitled, you know, core of people. We built this company. We're not going to change because of him, you know. And uh, it's going to be very interesting. If it's anything like a radio station, it's going to be very interesting. 210-599-5555. The University of Waterloo in Canada, I believe it's in Ontario, has announced an opening for a tenured professor of environmental science. The catch is that it's only available, this position that they're hiring for is only available to 
qualified individuals who self-identify as women, transgender, non-binary, or two-spirit. Qualified individuals who self-identify as women, transgender, non-binary, or two-spirit. Now, I guess if you self-identify as a woman, does that mean could, could you actually be a woman? <laughs> I'm just... I'm just asking for a friend. But you you fill out an application, and part of it is a self-identification form. So you pick one of those categories. By the way, I looked up two-spirit, because I didn't know what it meant either this morning. And it's a term that derives from Native American culture. Uh, Some Native American tribes believed that there were two-spirit people, people that had a male and a female side or spirit. Um, that's been adopted by white liberals. <laughs> as a ter- They like it, so they just ripped it off from the Native Americans. Um, so you can be transgender, non-binary, or two-spirit. I consider myself multi-spirited. Let them see what they, let's see what they can do with that. Um, anyway, so you, you designate yourself, and that qualifies you to be considered for this teaching position at the University of Waterloo. It seems like, at one time, it would have just been flat-out illegal to say we're only hiring or we refuse to consider. And now that's becoming very normal, right? I mean, President Biden, I'm only going to consider an African-American woman for the Supreme Court. I'm only going to consider an African-American woman for my running mate. Um... It's now out in the open. Is that progress? I'm sure there are people who are like, yeah, our time has come. We're getting our you know, representation. But I wonder if in time they might see that this could backfire horribly against them. Like what if in X number of years we decide that we've overcorrected and now our faculty at our university is too top-heavy with, what is it? transgender, non-binary, or two-spirit people? And what if we put a job listing that says all are welcome to apply except transgender, non-binary, or two-spirit? And they'd be like, what? You can't do that? What do you think it is, 2020? And we'd be like, well, we, we, we've we overcorrected. You're overrepresented. Our faculty doesn't look like the community. We've got to get some straight white men in here. We don't have enough receding hairlines and <laughs> double chins. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm referring to myself, no one else. I'm only making fun of myself, no one else. But, um, see, once you once you play this game, this game can get played on you. I had a caller this morning, Steve called our show this morning, made a great point. He said, I would really, if I was uh, an LGBTQ American, I would really be worried about the politicians who are championing me because look at who they've championed before and look at what a terrible job they've done for the groups, the the identity groups in America that they've said we're we're gonna we're gonna have your back, we're gonna look out for you, we're gonna we're gonna save you, we're gonna protect you, we're gonna prosper you, and look at what they've done. And now you're the people that ha- you're under their wing. He said I wouldn't want to be there based on their track record, and it's a good point. Look at the places they've governed. Look at the the groups they've appointed themselves the protectors of. Are those people thriving? Are they happy? Is it working? 
Would you want to be next? Heaven, I'm in heaven. And my heart beats so that I can hardly speak. And I seem to find the happiness I see. When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek. Ella Fitzgerald's 105 years ago today. And one of those showbiz stories that's almost, uh, I don't know, it's almost a cliche, right? She she grows up uh, in very humble uh, beginnings. And uh, she lost her mother when she was a little girl in a car accident. And she has a stepfather who's not very nice, and she goes to live with an aunt. And she kind of falls into bad circumstances, and there's never been a, a clear understanding of what happened, what he might have done, how this happened. But this, this young girl growing up in Harlem with all this talent and good grades in school um, sort of falls through the cracks. And um, she starts skipping and... She works at one point as a lookout at a bordello. She starts running numbers uh, for the local uh, mob. She never spoke publicly of it, and again, very little is known about it, uh, but she wound up in an orphanage for black girls in Riverdale in the Bronx, and then she was moved to another school uh, outside of New York City in Hudson, uh, New York. Somehow she survives all that, and... While still a teenager, she competes in an amateur night at the Apollo Theater, famous Apollo Theater. And she was going to dance. That was going to be her her act. Not sing, but dance. And the act before her danced so beautifully, she got intimidated. So she went out and sang, aping the style of a singer that she had admired since she was a little girl, an early American songbook singer named Connie Boswell. So she sang, and she won. Part of the prize was a chance to perform at the Apollo, but for some reason they never gave it to her. Well, they eventually gave it to her, but they didn't give it to her at the time. But uh, obviously Ella Fitzgerald survived all of that and became unforgettable. And uh, beautiful, beautiful voice. We'll hear more of it coming up on this, her 105th birth anniversary so we're asking you on the JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, uh, will Elon Musk be able to make Twitter better? I guess maybe that's not the best wording. Maybe I should have just said, well, do you think he'll make a difference? Uh, will he add value? Will, will he do things that you'll take an interest in uh, if you're not really into Twitter now? 210-599-5555. They keep describing him as the richest man in the world or one of the richest men in the world. Um, I think sometimes we think that the the power rich people have is their money. But it's not always true, right? Like, Henry Ford became very rich, but the power Henry Ford had was, was an idea. And Elon Musk is an idea guy. He is also, or incidentally, a billionaire. But he's an idea guy. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. He's he's overpaid basically for something. You heard Steve Moore say that last hour. So that means he sees something 
that could be there that isn't there right now? What's it like to be, by the way, just in, in, sort of like on a day-to-day basis, what's it like to be the world's richest man? Some people say it's him. Some people say it's Vladimir Putin. Like, let's say you're the world's richest man or woman. It's you. You are that person. And you're sitting at home at night in your incredible mansion. And you're watching television because you know what? They they do too. <laughs> your television is, is ginormous and state-of-the-art. But it's just a television. And an infomercial comes on some new skillet or thing for the garden. I wonder if you just buy it. I mean, you're not even going to miss it, you know. And if you act now, they'll send you a second one free. You're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll pay the shipping and handling for the second one. I need that thing. I wonder what it's like. I mean, all of us have some, whatever our income level, we have some distinction or you know sense of discernment about value i wonder what your discernment of about value is when you have uncountable amounts of money you have you have teams of people trying to figure out how much you have and um of course one of the interesting things about wealth and there was a a guy that wrote a series of books about it called tom stanley dr tom stanley most famous book he wrote was called The Millionaire Next Door, but he wrote a several other books. Dave Ramsey used to talk about them. And what Tom Stanley did was he studied rich people, really rich people, because he wanted to know what we could learn from them. And he learned a lot of things, and he wrote about them in his books. But one of the things that stuck with me was that rich people don't always live like rich people. You've seen, like, pictures of your favorite Hollywood star and he's dressed like a bum or her hair looks like it was combed with a wagon wheel and you think, why do they do that? They do it because they don't care, right? They don't have to care. No one's going to upbraid them for not looking right. But anyway, back to the point about rich people not acting rich. Tom Stanley broke it down. He said they don't buy the most expensive brand of anything. They don't buy the most expensive cars. They like things that have value. They like things that last. A lot of them like things that are not too ostentatious or showy. They don't necessarily buy designer clothes. He said what what people misunderstand about wealth is you don't get rich by acting rich. And if you act rich, you never get rich. Because we all know people, you probably know somebody like this, I know people like this. You go out, oh, they got to have the top shelf vodka. Oh, they got to have the most expensive bottle of wine. They have to act the part, but by doing that, they'll never be rich. They'll never make it. They'll never save the money or set aside the money. And his point, Stanley's point was, genuinely rich people, actual millionaires and billionaires, don't do the things you'd expect them to do. So when you think you're acting like them, you're really not. So back to the infomercial. Does Elon Musk just buy every one of those things? I have no idea. Probably not, right? Probably not. What's it like to be a a billionaire and see an infomercial? Joining us now on our KTSA 
Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, Congressman Chip Roy, who I believe is coming back from the Eagle Pass area today. Is that right, Congressman? I am, Jack. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm uh, just now coming up I-35. We came out of Eagle Pass after uh, about 10 of us. I think we're down there uh, visiting with Border Patrol and DPS and National Guardsmen. I don't know if you heard this or not, so I want to play it for you and, and for our listeners. This was a question put to White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki today about the loss of uh, Guardsman Bishop Evans uh, down on the border. Take a listen to this. Do the White House feel any responsibility for his death, given that uh, there, there's reporting that he lost his life, uh, allegedly trying to save uh, two migrants who were smuggling drugs. This is a problem that you know the administration has been facing for some time, and is obviously we've been discussing getting some criticism on. Is does the White House feel at all responsible? And what what more can you offer to people who? you know, are on the border, in border communities who are experiencing loss and, and trials like this. Well, I, I, of course we are mourning the, the loss of his life, and we are grateful for the work of every National Guardsman. I would note that the National Guard work for the states, and so he is an employee of the Texas, Texas National Guard, and his efforts and his operation were directed by there, not by the federal government uh, in this in this effort, in this apparatus. Uh, we've we've long stated that our immigration system is broken. There needs to be more done to invest in smarter security, to have a more effective asylum processing system, and we would welcome any efforts to uh, mm. for for any elected officials to work with us on that. So, Congressman, I, I got to say, a, a lot of us are very angry about the the intentionality of this crisis, which directly led to the death of this young man. To hear her say, "Well, he's an employee of of the Texas National Guard." When when did we stop becoming Americans and start uh, start this this nonsense? Well, Jack, let's just be very clear. She made clear to the American people that she doesn't care. The administration doesn't care. She couldn't even say they his won. name. Right. They they deflect and obfuscate, but it, it's worse than that, right? Oh, she just tried to get to some like technicality of who the guy works for. No ownership of the wide open border that is causing absolute chaos, that caused this young fellow to jump in the water, try to save a life, ends up, by the way, that I think the people he was trying to save were probably running drugs. But he went in trying to do his duty and what he felt was right to do, and God bless him for it. And they take no ownership. How about the teenage girl who was prostituted, sexually assaulted by a guy, a Mexican national, who has been deported 15 times, and that happened in San Antonio, and he was arrested last Friday, mm -hmm. Jack. Mm -hmm. How about the ranchers we met with today, one of whom broke down just in tears about a, a, a probably 65-year-old man, like six foot five, who broke down in tears upset about what's happened to his ranch and his, his uh, you know, family, and they have to, uh, you know, turn their lights off, and they have to have weapons going around their ranch. How about the parents whose kids have died from fentanyl? You and I have talked about this before, and your listeners know it. But Jen Psaki doesn't care. And Joe Biden doesn't care or doesn't even know where he is. And Kamala Harris can't find the southern border on a map. That's the reality. And people are suffering. People are dying. And it's a direct consequence of their actions, and specifically Secretary Mayorkas. And I cannot wait to talk to him on Thursday in the, Senate, in the House Judiciary Committee. Yeah, tell me about that. What is the plan there for that? Because, I mean, we, we, we've all 
we've all heard their line. Is there really anything more he can say or would say that would that would change this? Well, first of all, he owes the American people a response and, 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 and to give us information, right? Like, we didn't even know about the 42 individuals on a uh, terror watch list until I sent a letter in August and we got a letter response eight months later, right? He owes us answers to the question. How many people have been released into the United States? We believe that number is around 1 million people that they have actively released into the United States. How many of them have been showed back up for court, have been then removed? How many people were gotaways? Who were those people? Where'd they come from? How dangerous are they? He owes us answers because it is on his watch. Remember that Jay Johnson in the Obama administration that Mayorkas served in said that 1,000 a day was an unmanageable number. We have 7,000 a day right now at the border. And if they blow up Title 42, that number is going to skyrocket. Now, I realize a court has allegedly kind of stepped in and issued an injunction or a, or a TR. I, don't, I didn't see what the order was, but that will be temporary. Isn't this basically just a function? I mean, I don't mean to be a pessimist, but this is all a function of the 2020 election. I mean, they are doing what they have calculated is in their best political interest. Well, I would beg to differ with them if that's their strategy based on what I see in South Texas. And I see uh, Hispanics in South Texas who are... uh, moving away from the Democrat Party, who I think they're now seeing as having taken Hispanics for granted, uh, whether it was in Webb County last fall when I met with the entire leadership there, whether it was folks that I met with today in Eagle Pass, uh, whether it's the mayor, a Republican mayor in McAllen that was elected, whether it was Zapata County, which went for a Republican presidential candidate for the first time in a century. People are over it. They're sick of it. And, and, the, and the Biden administration doesn't care. And I, I don't know how to express enough to the listeners out there that this stuff impacts everybody in America. And, and the crime, the fentanyl, the cartels, the gangs, all of it is real. And we just gloss over that one teenage girl here on Friday, right? Oh, he got arrested, and we just move on. We go to our Little League game. We go to our whatever we do. We go to work, and we just move on. But that, there are real consequences to these incompetent policies or, frankly, these deceitful policies that the administration is perpetrating on the American people and harming us, harming migrants. Dead bodies on ranches, Jack. They've mm-hmm. got body trailers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is real. That, that, that young man died today. You know what they're not talking about? When I got on a boat today and we went to the location where that poor young man, 22 years old, died, they also pointed out the migrant that they picked up this morning, the body, in the river, just today. That's not in the news. Mm-hmm. But that guy's just as dead. How is this compassionate, Right. This is this is the definition of compassionate liberalism, Jack, and we're seeing it in full display. I want to ask you, and I you may not want to go where I'm about to take you, but I'll try anyway. And I mean no disrespect at all to the people we're about to talk about, but uh, the world is fed a steady diet of the the grief and the granular suffering of people in Ukraine, and we do pray for them, and we do understand that they are they are suffering. But it is ironic that at the same moment uh, that that's happening, um, our media are basically conspiring to ignore what's happening on the southern border. It's not exactly the same, 
But as you just pointed out, and that's what prompted me to ask this question, somebody dies, it's not even in the news. B- Bishop Evans dies, and Jen Psaki can't remember his name. But when, whenever they want to, they know how to play the heartstrings of their viewers like a, like a harp. So how do you overcome that as somebody that I, I can tell cares about this when there's a, a, a concerted effort to keep this off of people's minds? Well, the way I approach it is I just never relent, right? The reason I went to the border again today in Eagle Pass after being in Del Rio in February and Laredo last September and, you know, McAllen last year, I go every you know couple of months to demonstrate to the people of South Texas and to the world that I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to let that go. And, and when you do that, people listen, right? We had 10 Republicans down there. We had an entire news uh, you know, a bunch of uh, media there doing a press conference. It's been hard to get them down there. Well, now they're paying attention. We're going to keep doing that. Your point about Ukraine is spot on. And I think people need to pay attention and see that. Like, look, right now, you and I, I think, I don't want to speak for you. Uh, our hearts go out. We want to make sure we're doing the right thing. We should stand with them and help them to the extent that our, you know, national security interests are, are involved with it and everything else. Um, but how's that money being spent, right? They're saying, oh, we need another $1.4 billion. I mean, okay. Well, how about you account for what you've spent? How's that mean? How much are you spending on climate change over there? I can point to $130 million that they're using through some other programs, and half of that's going to, like, climate change crap. Wait, hold on a second. I thought you needed bullets and planes. Like, let's have an actual debate about this stuff instead of just having them just stand up and go, oh, Ukraine, and we go write a check, and then we ignore what's happening at the southern border. We should walk and chew gum. But my job as a member of Congress right now is to elevate these stories, in my view. And I'm not going to stop beating the drum that a sovereign nation has a secure border and a secure border is good for the American people and migrants. And we should be exporting the rule of law and building a strong Western Hemisphere in Mexico rather than importing lawlessness and dangerous cartels in fentanyl. And I'm going to stand by that as long as I'm in office. Amen to that. Well said. Congressman Chip Roy, thank you tonight. We appreciate it as always. All right. God bless, Jack. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. We'd like to do something for you now. We haven't heard a girl sing it. And since it's so popular, we'd like to try and do it for you. We hope we remember all the words. Fifty-seven. Today would have been her 105th birthday. Happy birthday, Queen of Jazz, Lady Ella. And this is a famous version of Mac the Knife because she forgets the words as she she goes along. She said she was afraid she was going to. Something pretty cool about her, she would, especially later in her career, she, she would play sometimes 40, 45 weeks a year on the road, did a lot of shows, and she would have a set list like you have but then she would want to please the audience by singing songs they had hoped to hear 
And if somebody wanted a song and they had the sheet music, sometimes she would put on her little granny glasses and sing it while reading it off the, the music sheets, reading it off the, you know, the paper. Um, she didn't care how it looked. She was just trying to give them what they wanted and, and render that song. And, of course, even even uh, making her first pass at material, she'd sound better than a lot of people who'd been singing it for years and years, Ella Fitzgerald. Mark wrote to me and said, wasn't she in a commercial? She was in a lot of commercials in her later years. And, yes, she was in a commercial for Memorex uh, recording tape. And the the gimmick of the commercial was it showed Ella Fitzgerald hitting a very high note being recorded by this uh, Memorex tape and then uh, and breaking a champagne glass. And then um, when they play it back on the Memorex tape, it breaks another glass. And the slogan was, is it live or is it Memorex? And that became a very, very successful ad campaign. She was part of it. She wasn't the whole thing, but very successful ad campaign. Do you have it, Don? Here's what it sounded like. Are you ready? We're ready, Ella. All right, fellas. Nelson Riddle, you've been arranging the Ella Fitzgerald jazz sound for years. Yes, that's right. Can you tell if that's Ella Live or a recording on Memorex cassette tape with MRX to Oxide? No, I can't. It's Memorex! That sounds live to me. Is it live or is it Memorex? One, two. MRX3 Oxide from Memorex. MRX3 Oxide makes the difference. You get high and high and even lower lows. Is it free or me? Nobody knows. <laughs> now, more than ever, we can ask, is it live or is it Memorex? Mm-hmm. Yep, she did that. She did, uh, I think she did some restaurant jingles and commercials and stuff, too. She did it all. And 105 years ago today, 210-599-5555. On the JR poll, will Elon Musk make Twitter better? Are you uh, hoping for something, and what is that? Uh, do you think it's going to be uh, like uh, draining the swamp? He's not going to be able to do it. It's too entrenched. I will say, I, I don't think you get to be where he is without knowing what you're buying like having a having a pretty good idea having a pretty good plan and most of the people and I include myself in this most of the people analyzing this today and bloviating about it and again including me we, we've never done what he's done we've never built what he's built we probably can't see things that he at the moment somehow is in 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 you know opening the hood and, and looking at everything, sees. He he clearly paid more than the market valuation for this company, so I think he's got an idea of what, what he wants to do and where he wants to take it. It may it may be that only time will tell, right? 210-599-5555. They've got an idea in Rhode Island to tax you double your income tax. They have a state income tax. Double it. Whatever you owe, double it if you're not fully vaccinated. It's a bill. It's not likely to pass. It's not likely to survive its first encounter with a 
a court. But can you imagine the power-crazed mania of somebody even suggesting this? First of all, what are taxes? I, I thought taxes were to pay for government. No, apparently taxes are just like, you know, spanking. And if you're extra bad, you get more spanks. So if you don't get the, if you don't get the vaccine, we're going to spank you twice as hard or twice as much. What the hell is that? Well, wait a minute. minute. If I am fully vaccinated in Rhode Island, I shouldn't have to pay any taxes. And then secondly, um, what, what, what happened to the idea that, um, People who, people's earn, you know, people's money, people's earnings belong to them. I mean, forget my body, my choice. How about my paycheck, my choice? The bill, as written, would double your income taxes if you don't get all of the shots. So I guess that would be all three, although now there's a fourth one, right? I'll see people rushing out for the fourth one. Uh, a medical exemption would require the signature of three different doctors, each of which would have to be notarized, and the state could still throw those out if they decide those doctors are wrong. Doctors are wrong? How can the doctors be wrong? Fauci told us last week that doctors are the ones we should listen to. Oh, oh, government doctors. Okay. So, Rhode Island wants to double your taxes. You can cross Rhode Island off your list. <laughs> you're thinking about moving cross that off your list speaking of taxes by the way remember the recent revelations about how the co-founder of black lives matter patrice colors spent what was it six million of their donated money on a mansion in california and remember that she said well it's not for me to live in it's for people in the movement to go and experience peace and tranquility but i'll live there in the meantime well, now it turns out that the uh, organization also failed to make numerous financial filings. And there's a form called Form 990 that they were supposed to submit to the IRS. I, I've never heard of it, but I guess if you, if you have these organizations, these nonprofit organizations, you would know about Form, 10, form 990. So they asked her about uh, why she hadn't filed Form 990. And Patrice Cullors said, it doesn't seem safe for us, this 990 structure. This is, like, deeply unsafe. This is literally being weaponized against us, against the people we work with. Wow, she almost sounds like a conservative there, right? Like, taxation is weaponized, and she wants less government intrusion into her personal financial affairs and those of her associates. I, I, can get, I could get behind that, Patrice. Except for the part about you're not paying the taxes. Um, that's remarkably uh, relatable. Yeah. I don't like all this. I'm, I'm feeling very triggered by all these forms, things I have to comply with. Um, of course, she's not saying everyone should be exempt from them. She just wants BLM to be exempt from them. So Now, across the country in Washington State, They've got an idea. Uh, a state rep in Washington State, Melanie Morgan, is sponsoring a bill that would declare the term marijuana racist 
and it would not be it would not uh, they would not allow it to be used in state law or state business. You could not refer to it as marijuana because, says Representative Morgan, that term is pejorative and racist. So if you want me to connect the dots, I will. She says that marijuana, the word, originates from Spanish, and it was negatively associated with Mexican immigrants. Therefore, she says it's racist terminology used to lock up black and brown people. Quote, this is just another layer of peeling off the systemic racism that's built into our system. So no more using the word marijuana in state business in the state of Washington. I guess they would prefer you called it cannabis. Cannabis would be the word. Um, now, I will say, before I tee off on her, <laughs> there, there actually is a history to what she's saying. And it's pretty interesting if you ever want to look into it, or maybe you have looked into it. There's some good documentaries out there. Um, back in the 1920s and 30s, the federal government undertook a very systematic and rigorous uh, propaganda or disinformation campaign about marijuana. They were trying to justify federal narcotics laws, which were a new concept. There had never been anything like that before. And there were new agencies. There was what was then called the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. It eventually became the DEA. And there was something called the Bureau of Investigation, which eventually became the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. And these federal statutes were going to be their meat and potatoes. And so to scare people about marijuana, which at the time was seen very much like people are now seeing it, recreational, casual, no big deal, they started associating it with black people and Hispanic people and Caribbean people. They said the jazz music was satanic and was fueled by marijuana use. I think there was a hell of a lot more drinking than there was pot use, but whatever. Um, and the way people danced and the way they acted was all fueled by marijuana. This is where a lot of the myths about marijuana came from. They came from the government. They were propagated, you know, intentionally. So she's got a point as far as the history, okay, I and I get how idiotic that was, and I get how misleading that has been. But digging back that far, we're talking 80, 90 years, to take the word out of the state law in the idea that that somehow helps people today See, that's the kind of thing politicians, you talk about being addicted, that's what they're addicted to. They like the quick hit, the quick high. We banned a word, right? We airbrushed history. They love stuff that they can do in one fell swoop and then run around taking victory laps. They don't like solving real-world problems in the here and now because that's time-consuming. It might last longer than their term in office. They might start something and the next state rep finishes it or the next governor finishes it. Somebody else gets credit for what they wanted credit for. They hate that. 
So they don't even try to do things that might exceed any reasonable length of time. They only want the quick hit. I did this. I made this happen. I banned the word. I tore down the statue. I renamed the school. Because that's quick. And they can be sure to get credit for it. But I don't see how... (laughs) I'm sorry, the word marijuana... Whatever you think about pot legalization, the word marijuana really helps anybody, hurts anybody. Unbelievable. This is These are real people. This is what they're doing. Somebody voted for this, and somebody's going to re-elect her in the People's Republic of Washington. Twitter has accepted the buyout from Elon Musk. He will get control of the company. Right now, if you go to Twitter, it looks like it's always looked. But everybody's got some idea. They know what this is going to mean. And they're either freaking out or celebrating. I think it's too early to do either one. It feels like an election almost, you know, like <laughs> you have people like sh- absolutely sure that that uh, this is going to be great. And uh, you have people that are like, I'm leaving the country or I'm leaving Twitter. It really feels like the like the morning after an election. Uh, but I, I, I think um, all I can say about Elon Musk is he's not a conservative. He may have uh he may have made enemies of or scared people you don't like or you consider your enemy. That doesn't make him necessarily an ally. He does seem to be uh, fairly brilliant. I cannot believe that he spent this money over, you know, basically over, overbought unless he sees potential that is not being realized right now. So you might think, ah, oh, those, those, uh, Things like Twitter and Facebook, they've, they've peaked, they've run the course, but I, I think he must see something. And it'll be interesting to see what that is. Um, it's fascinating to watch the economic illiteracy of people on the left that they, um, you know, they're freaking out because they thought, because Twitter was simpatico with them, they thought they owned it. Remember when you would complain about, you know, uh, deplatforming or shadow banning? They would go, why don't you start your own? Go make your own, you know. And they can't believe now that maybe they're the ones that will go have to go and start their own. Um, one of the activists with Occupy Democrats says, it's a bad idea to sell to Elon Musk. I think Elon Musk owning Twitter is a bad idea. He will amplify racists, bigots, and misinformation. He is a bad faith actor with his distorted views of free speech and censorship. I'm sorry, David, but every single word of that could apply to the people that are currently controlling the content. <laughs> so it's just the it's just you know it, it's sort of like. You, you you see it the way you want to see it. I would argue that right now, all kinds of bad and toxic things are amplified by and on Twitter. Twitter's been compared, social media itself has been compared to a haphazardly built city that is unsafe to live in. Glenn Reynolds called it that. The NAACP tonight, not even waiting till the end of the day, has already said, do not allow 45 
back on the platform. Do not allow 45 back on the platform. I guess they're not allowed to say his name. Is there something about saying his name? Is it like if you say it, it's a sin? He's 45? (laughs) What will Donald Trump uh, be or do with the new Twitter? I mean, he started his own thing, right? He started Truth Social. Does he want back on Twitter? Oh, you bet he does. Yeah, I'm pretty sure about that. I don't know if he'll come back, but I think he would love to be on there. And is that something Elon Musk sees as essential? I mean, bringing Donald Trump back to Twitter would be the the quickest way of confirming the left's worst fears and you know making everybody go crazy. He might just do it for the fun of watching them react, right? Watching the heads explode. Um, I guess we just really have a, a basic misunderstanding of what free speech is. See, there's, there's this concept now of hate speech. But hate speech is just free speech you don't like. Hate speech is just free speech you really don't want to hear. It would be like saying there's a hate smell. Oh, I really hate the smell of that. It's a hate smell. Well, it, it's not a hate smell. It's just a smell. And hate speech is part of free speech, the most vile things people can say are part of free speech. You can't say I only want some of it. There's something about the word fascism too. So free speech and hate speech are thrown around and the word fascism is thrown around. Oh, Elon Musk is a fascist. Nope. <laughs> Fascism's a form of government. There has to be authority for fascism. A guy that has a lot of money doesn't make him a fascist. Why isn't Mark Zuckerberg a fascist? Remember when Mark Zuckerberg, and it's not that long ago, I say remember like it was, you know, 80 years ago, Remember when Mark Zuckerberg was giving big, fat checks to county election clerks and election administrators around the United States with strings attached? You can have all this money, but here's what I want you to do. Here's what you have to do with it. You have to make uh, drop boxes for absentee ballots, and you have to do all of this other vote harvesting stuff that I want, that I believe in, that we need to have. And they called them Zuckbucks. Where was the concern about that? That was a rich guy muscling his way into government, pushing the little people out of the way. The little people have to write letters or speak at public meetings. He went in and got the things he wanted with nothing but money. I didn't hear anybody who's tonight rending their garments about Elon Musk. I didn't hear any of them say anything about Mark Zuckerberg. Maybe they did. I I didn't hear it. It was fine what he was doing. But this is so upsetting. And again, they don't even know what he'll do. He might not do anything. Or he might do anything he might not do anything that they would really find objectionable, but they've lost their sense that they owned this thing. 
this tells me right here that it was untenable. If it's the free speech marketplace, no one really owns it or controls it. They thought they did. They wouldn't have admitted it before Elon Musk, but once he came along, they were forced to, and they have. The reaction to him is is clear. I, I think I think he's already done that. He's already given us that. Just the rumor that he wanted to take over the company kind of exposed the bones of this whole thing. And they are a private company. These are stockholders. They can do what they want. The NAACP demanding that they don't is rich. If I mean, the NAACP being unable to say the name of the president responsible for the highest minority employment rates in the history of the country, that's pretty rich all by itself, right? Kind of tells you everything you need to know. on KTSA. Coming up, the results on our Stevens Roofing JR poll. Will Elon Musk make Twitter better? Jason writes to Jack at KTSA.com. I'm confused, Jack, by your lack of enthusiasm over the Elon Musk news. You don't sound like you think this is a good thing. I'm, I'm not trying to be confusing or cryptic, Jason. I really don't know. I'm being honest. I really don't know. I know what people are saying. I hear it, I see it, I respect that people in the media and people in the commentariat who are very smart people seem to think they know exactly where this is going and how this will work. I just don't. Because Elon Musk is a little bit like Donald Trump in the sense that you can you can take measure of the people that are scared of him, mad at him, and and decide, well, then therefore he's the opposite of them, and therefore he's my ally. But you'll always get that wrong when you do that. That old saying, the enemy of, me, of my enemy is my friend, is a crock. It's like a, it's like a fortune cookie saying. It's not true. The enemy of your enemy is not necessarily your friend. Okay? So I, I think Trump is not a conservative or an ideologue. He's a pragmatist. And in a, in a different way, Musk is not a conservative or an ideologue. He's a pragmatist. You read up enough about him, you'll be disabused of the idea that he's some kind of, you know, Reagan conservative or or whatever, Republican or whatever. So when it comes to free speech, which is what really what we're talking about here, I, I think Twitter will be different. I don't know yet if it will be better. I hope it will be. I think there's good reason to be hopeful. I'm not trying to dampen your enthusiasm. But if you're asking me, why aren't I saying or asserting Trump's going to get back on there and Tucker Carlson's going to be on there and this guy and that one and this is going to happen and that, I I just want to wait and see. Because I know that, that he bought it for complicated, calculating reasons. And I want to see what he does and what he can do. 
we, uh, I would say particularly in the last couple of years, we have seen a phenomenon in this country where a young black man loses his life and people refuse to let him be forgotten. Say his name. And they do. They yell his name. And I understand it. His name tonight is Bishop Evans. He was 22. He came from Arlington. He's somebody's son, perhaps somebody's brother, somebody's best friend, maybe the love of somebody's life. Are they going to say his name? He drowned as a Texas National Guardsman. And contrary to what Jen Psaki said, that did not make him an employee of the state of Texas. He's an American. He's an American who wears the uniform of his country. By the way, he did wear the uniform of his country in Kuwait and the Middle East before he joined the Texas Guard. But I'm just waiting. I I, I know it's only been a short time. Will there be people insisting we say his name? Will there be people insisting we don't forget his name? Because I know there are people that want to forget this happened. His death is extremely inconvenient if you're trying to make the case that everything's hunky-dory on the border. His death is a symptom of a crisis created by politicians, not, not something that happened by accident or because of the weather. You know, we often see the National Guard in the aftermath of a natural disaster, a flood or a tornado. And all we care about is the response because we know that no one could have stopped it. Usually there's little or no warning. This was preventable, intentional, reckless, opening the border, collapsing the protections that have been put in place. However you felt about Donald Trump, the Trump administration's policies on the border were moving in the right direction. It wasn't perfect. It was far from it. Much more needed to be done. But you didn't keep doing what he was doing. You intentionally reversed it. You bragged about it. You said there wouldn't be one more foot of wall. And Bishop Evans is dead. If you blew up a dam and someone drowned, you wouldn't say, oh, I I didn't foresee that. I couldn't have imagined that that would happen. They blew up a dam. So I I know that Bishop Evans is being honored tonight here in Texas. I hope that he will be remembered everywhere. I hope they'll say his name. I'm just using their words. That's their that's their that's their tactic, and I understand it. And I I understand that the the idea that we can't let people become statistics. We can't forget about people. Everybody counts or nobody counts. I get that. I value that. Say his name, and I'll believe that you mean it. Don't say his name, and I'll think you're full of it. I'm waiting. We'll see. Uh, Road and Track magazine on their website broke the news this morning 
The General Motors is working on an all-electric Corvette. What do you think of that? The president of General Motors also said that there will be a hybrid Corvette, perhaps as early as next year, one with all-wheel drive, one that will have a gasoline and electric uh, engine, motor. It's not clear what the gas motor will be. Will it be the big existing ones with electric added in, or will it be a smaller one with electric? But first they'll do the hybrid Corvette, and then they'll do an electrified Corvette according to the Chevrolet Twitter account. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555, no details. Uh, They're rumored to be calling the electric Corvette the E-Ray, in a play on words with the Stingray. Lithium is the metal that makes electric vehicles work right now. Demand for it has never been higher. Supply of it has never been tighter. You've heard about the semiconductor shortage, right? The chip shortage. Well, in the auto industry, they're already thinking about the next big thing, which is going to be the bottleneck in lithium, the shortage of lithium. And here's an expert, John Lowry, whose nickname is Mr. Lithium. He did an interview with Bloomberg. He's a mining and minerals expert. He says, in the next two years, even though there'll be significant growth in supply, it'll be less than demand. The gap will continue to grow. Lithium prices have gone up 438% year to year. And extracting lithium is complicated. He says you can build a battery factory in about a year, but it takes a decade or more to bring a lithium mine online. The U.S. is promising to produce more lithium, but he says we actually have less than 2% of the world's supply. The biggest supplies are in South America, Australia, and Africa. The Chinese Communist Party controls most of those sites. It's like we're um, sprinting right into their trap. They have the thing you need for electric cars, and we're putting the pedal to the floor on electric cars. Does this seem like a good idea to you? I mean, am I missing something? Seems like a really bad idea. It's not like we don't have any recent experience with China and the supply chain. Hello. But our plan right now, I mean, every car commercial, you see it, you know what I'm talking about. Our plan right now is all electric, ASAP. And that necessitates them. And they've been maneuvering themselves into this position for years as if, almost as if they knew we would be obsessed and committed. Hmm. I hope something changes. And maybe something will. I am reminded that very often these kinds of things, what looks like it's going to be the future, zigs or zags and changes. There's, I know there's alternative battery technology out there. I know there are people saying we can do this without lithium. Maybe we will. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Outside the snow is falling and friends are calling you. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Well, tell you what, not every day Ella Fitzgerald 
turns 105 years old, so on her birth anniversary tonight, playing a little Ella on the radio, and love that one. A lot of season, but I think I think any time of year is the right time for Ella Fitzgerald. Um, we'll talk more about her here in just a second. On the JR poll tonight, powered by Stevens Roofing, will Elon Musk be able to make Twitter better? 73% say yes, he will. 27% say no. New JR poll tomorrow when we get started at 4. You can find it anytime at KTSA.com. Boy, one thing I try never to do, but I've done it tonight, is offend our military. So let me apologize profusely. Eric wrote to me and said, I'm curious as to why, when referring to the missing Texas National Guardsmen, you keep saying the military and National Guardsmen. And then he talks about his own service. And he's now in the Texas Air National Guard. He says, the Guard still is the military. Uh, we are military. I, I know that. I don't know how I gave the idea that that's not the case. But, Eric, I am very sorry that I offended you and insulted your service and uh, certainly did not mean to do that. Yes, the the Texas National Guard is the military. It's not separate or unmilitary. Um, you know, I think... I think maybe the best way to understand the Elon Musk story is to say, look at other stuff he's bought and other stuff he's done. And uh, if you know anything about the history of Tesla and what it was when he bought it, it wasn't called Tesla. I think he had to buy that name from somebody else. But he bought an existing company. There was a kernel of the concept that Tesla became. And he, he believed they weren't exploiting it to its full value. He did a ton of things that people didn't expect. He took that company in directions that were not expected. I have the feeling that's how this is going to go, too. I could be wrong, but it's really all we have to go on, right? All right, we've been marking the uh, 105th birth anniversary of Ella Fitzgerald, and I mentioned earlier that she's, in in her long career, she worked with, and and sang in front of every big band, worked with every orchestrator. Uh, everybody wanted a project with Ella Fitzgerald. Her probably greatest unrealized ambition over the years was she never got to do a, a studio album with Frank Sinatra. She performed with him many times. Uh, she performed on his television specials. She... Um, did a series that when he made his big comeback from retirement in the early 70s, she did a series with him at Caesar's Palace. Uh, they did not do a studio album together. Um, after her death, Frank Sinatra told his record label that he did not want his music uh, released in albums based on composers. He, she did a series of what they called songbook albums, and out of respect for her, he didn't want to do the same thing. That's how much he liked her. That's why he would say Ella Fitzgerald was his favorite singer. And I thought we'd leave you tonight with one more Ella Fitzgerald song. On This is her uh, 105th birth anniversary. I think, in my own opinion, this is the prettiest version of this song. It may not be her best song, but when she sang these foolish things, I don't think anyone sang it more evocatively and beautifully. I want to leave you with that tonight and see you back here tomorrow at 4. Oh, will you never let me be? Oh, 
set me free The ties that bound us are still around us There's no escape that I can see And still those little things remain That bring me happiness or pain A cigarette that bears A lipstick's traces An airline ticket to romantic places And still my heart has wings These foolish things remind me of you A tinkling piano in the next apartment Those stumbling words that told you what my heart meant A fairground's painted swings These foolish things remind me of you Make my heart a dancer 